everyone, and welcome back to Then Again, the podcast of the Northeast Georgia History Center. Today, I have with me a very special guest who has time traveled to meet with us and be on our podcast today, General James Oglethorpe. Thank you so much for being with us today, General. Oh, you're quite welcome. I must admit, things have definitely changed since my day. Did you have podcasts? We had absolutely nothing like this. Newspapers was about as close as we got. Now, you didn't write a lot of reports about what was going on in the colony of Georgia because, mm. well, General, you are known for many things in this time, but probably the most well-known thing that you did, one of your most remembered accomplishments, mm. is the founding of the colony of Georgia. Ah, yes. Which is where the Northeast Georgia History Center is located today. Mm. Not quite in Savannah. We're, we're up, uh, <laughs> up in the mountains. But could you tell us a little bit more about why did you feel the need to begin this new colony? Yes, well, I grew up in a rather wealthy family and really had no concept of what life was like for people who didn't have money. But then, as once I was elected as a member of parliament, I had a very dear friend of mine who not only was thrown into prison for owing money, but actually died. And it rather struck me as wrong that... Owing someone money could be a death sentence. And so I started working with some other members of parliament, most notably Lord Egmont, and together we came up with a, an idea for a new colony, which it would be, I call it a haven for the working man. So a whole new society based not so much on wealth and class like it is pretty much all over Europe, but instead would be built on three main principles. Hard work, equality, and morality. So there is a little bit of a myth nowadays that Georgia mm. was started as a debtor's colony or a debtor's mm. colony, almost like a prison. But that's quite the opposite, correct? Uh, quite so. Actually, of the people who we selected to come to Georgia, we didn't actually take any of them out of the debtor's prisons. However, all of them were very much in danger of being sent there. And so... The more people I figure that we can keep out of prison, so much the better. So there were a little over 100 men, women, mm. and children who came with you. 144, yes. Who came with you to the colony of Georgia. Now, can you tell us how old were you when you started this colony and landed on the shores of what would become Savannah? Well, I have to consider that I was flush with the excitement of youth. I was only 36 years old at the time that we came here. And so I was in my in my late twenties when I started coming up with the idea. So I was I was still a very young man at the time. So was there anything besides, you know, growing up in this very wealthy and politically connected family that made you feel ready for this challenge? I think my experiences serving in the Austrian army and the Prince Eugene of Savoy. I mean, there are so many valuable lessons that one learns when you command an army in the field. You learn about logistics. You learn about getting along with people. And I also learned how to defend a desperate situation. Very useful. <laughs> now, I don't want to give everything away because mm -hmm. people can come and meet you at the Northeast Georgia History Center. But can you just tell us briefly, what are you most proud of in beginning this colony of Georgia? Well, as I said before, I am... I'm very proud of creating a society which is not based on wealth and class. I mean, one of the things that I did was I prohibited large landholdings to 
try to keep an, a gentlemanly class from developing here. I, mean, I want everyone who comes to Georgia to work his own land. And when you actually have to do the work yourself, that creates an entirely different mindset and reduces one's own sense of privilege. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, General Oglethorpe. It has been wonderful to get to talk with you. I hope that everyone gets to come to our Summer Chautauqua series. Oh, indeed, so do I. It's been a pleasure. So we had, of course, General James Oglethorpe here, but... General James Oglethorpe is brought to life at the Northeast Georgia History Center by our wonderful historic interpreter, Richard Burke. Hello. <laughs> so now we have Richard with us to talk a little bit about what is it like to become a historic character? Oh, it, it is great. I mean, in, in most history books, you know, you read about you know, names and dates and everything. But what I try to learn a bit more about is the personalities. I mean, once you actually learn about the personality of somebody and you know, not only how they saw themselves in the world, but also how others saw, the, saw them, it opens whole new doors and makes, makes the past come alive. Because they're all just people, mm -hmm. right? Everyone yeah. in history has just been a person. And it's, it's very important to remember that everybody you read about in, in history books, they are people and they have full-blown personalities, you know, some larger than others. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, trying to bring these personalities to life, not just the names and the dates, that's, that's very important to me. So as you've been researching and putting together this persona for Oglethorpe, mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you've learned about him that, you know, we might not think about? Because a lot of times when we think of historical figures, we think about those names mm -hmm. and dates and facts. But what are some of the nuances that you try to bring to life with Oglethorpe? Well, I have learned that he had a bit of a temper. Ooh. He, I haven't found out where he actually was involved in any duels, but he, there was a, a lieutenant in the 42nd Regiment that you know, Oglethorpe was in command with, in command of, a Lieutenant Sutherland. And they had some of the reports that were written by Oglethorpe, some that were written by Sutherland. They didn't like each other very much. I know. <laughs> Yeah. Another thing that I have learned, though, is that Oglethorpe was something of a control freak. Mm. I mean, pretty much, he, he believed that his vision was the proper one, and it was basically his way or the highway. And that led to a lot of conflict between him and, like, the Savannah City Council, which is why pretty much since from about 1737 on, he spent most of his time in Frederica on St. Simon's Island and not in Savannah. Savannah had become too gentrified for his tastes. Because mm, so, he really had this vision of it being mm. a paradise for the working man. He did. Outlawing large land holdings, outlawing slavery. Yes. He was absolutely adamant that slavery would not come to Georgia. And I, I think it hit him pretty, pretty hard when uh, after he basically retired back to England, just a few years later, the, the ban was lifted and... And Georgia became a slaveholding state or colony. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about Oglethorpe's life 
after he leaves Georgia because in our Summer Should mm-hmm. Talk with series, we really are focusing on Oglethorpe's life, mm-hmm. uh, the beginning of his life, why he started the colony of Georgia, and then his time in the colony of Georgia, the formation of the colony, and of course the Battle of Bloody Marsh oh, and, yes. and whatnot. Uh, but that's all that we cover in mm-hmm. that portion. Can you tell us a little bit about what his life was like after he retired and went back to England? Yeah. Well, he got married in 1744, and from everything that I've been able to read, it was a relatively happy marriage. He actually commanded troops during the Jacobite Rebellion, and actually one of the other commanders kind of pressed charges against him for allowing Prince Charlie's army to escape back up into Scotland after, after they marched south, but uh, he was acquitted of that. There was a period of time in the 1750s, ironically enough, right in the middle of the Seven Years' War, where it's known that he went to the European continent, but then he kind of disappeared. I'm kind of thinking that he probably enlisted in, I'm thinking probably the Prussian army under an an assumed name, and kind of, you know, he worked there. And then once he returned to England, he pretty much lived a life of quiet retirement, though he did frequently hold salons in in his home. Oh, so what kind of ideas would be discussed in these salons? Because this is right in the age of revolution and enlightenment. Oh, yes. He was very much against the very heavy-handed tact that King George III was taking with the colonies, very much in favor of the colonists. And in fact, in 1788, I think it was, when uh, John Adams was still the ambassador to England, he actually came and visited Oglethorpe. Oh. So... So Oglethorpe was still very iconic as mm. being a a man of the colonies, perhaps, oh, yes. even in his retirement back in England. Mm-hmm. Now, why did he decide to go back to England instead of staying in Georgia? From what I've been able to gather, he wa- he wanted to, well, he felt he needed to have a bit of a discussion with the, the trustees mm-hmm. because you know, he was the only one who ever came to a, to America. Everybody else was trying to run the colony from 3,000 miles away. Which doesn't seem like it's very easy to do, even today. But yeah. back then, without a whole lot of communication, mm-hmm. uh, that seems like it would be very hard to, to run a colony. Oh, yes. and From that far away. Yeah. Another thing that kind of, I think, convinced him to retire was that while in, in America, he wasn't able to stand for re-election to Parliament. Mm-hmm. So he lost his seat, and with it went a lot of his authority. Mm. So... He basically just, you know, in the immortal words of Eric Cartman, said, you know, screw you guys, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> because that's where all of his family and mm-hmm. I'm sure most of his friends were as well. Yeah. But did he ever come back to Georgia after he left? No, he didn't. He, you know, except for that, you know, trip to Europe to, you know, once again experience the thrill of war, he pretty much stayed at home. He didn't. I haven't even been able to find that he went to London very much. He pretty much just, you know, stayed in Surrey. So what is your favorite thing about portraying Oglethorpe here at the History Center? Probably the interactions with with the kids that I talked to. I mean, I loved, you know, how so many of them got such a kick to find out that my hair is, in fact, real. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to come and see it uh, in real life at the History Center. It's not Mm -hmm. to be missed. (laughs) Oh, yes. But, yeah. Talking to the kids, I think, is my favorite part. Has there been a question, besides the is your hair real mm-hmm. question, that really has stuck out to you that you thought was either really funny or very insightful? 
so far as funny goes, you know, one asked, you know, who would win in a sword fight, me or DeSoto? Oh. I'm, so I would hope that I would win, considering he's been dead for 200 years. <laughs> <laughs> so he was asking you, you the person, he, he not... He was asking if Oglethorpe would win a... Or Oglethorpe, okay. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> Oh, right, but, but even with Oglethorpe, yeah, he's mm, been dead but, for, for quite a while. Oh, yes. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, it's things like that that, you know, y- you always have to stay on your toes. Oh, yeah. Because you never know what kind of questions are going to come down. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I have been asked numerous interesting questions by children. Oh, um, yes. My favorite is there was a class I had to have just learned about severe weather mm-hmm. in their science courses. Um, and then we had our history lesson, I think, directly after that. Uh, and we were Zooming with them because we were doing our time travel adventures. Mm-hmm. And over the internet, they were they, one after other just kept asking us, so what would happen if you if there was a tornado during a battle? What would happen if there was rain during a battle? What would happen if mm-hmm. there was hail during a battle? And it was just like, oh, okay. Well, mm-hmm. we are very focused on severe weather right now. Oh, yes. Um, and, but just trying to answer that because, like, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a, it's a valid question. Oh, yeah, All questions is. are valid and- questions. Um, but trying to answer it in a good historically accurate way, but also mm-hmm. like trying to give more information than well, like yeah. well, I mean, the battle would probably stop. We probably wouldn't start one if yeah, we for, saw bad weather was coming. Yeah, for yeah for a tornado, the battle would probably stop. But you know, like you know, the Battle of Trenton was fought in a whiteout blizzard. Yeah, which uh, really went against the Hessens because you know they you know they went they were dumb enough to actually leave the buildings to try to fight out in the field. And you know all the all the wet and everything. Their their gunpowder got wet, mm-hmm. and so you had fifteen hundred musketeers who suddenly became spearmen. Yeah. Yikes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I, it would be interesting. We could almost do a whole podcast on like how weather changed history, like oh, the, yes. the Spanish Armada when they oh, were yeah. invading England, but then there was the the great mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote Protestant wind that just came and essentially oh yes destroyed them. You know, weather, weather plays a part in history, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit now? I know people cannot see it because we mm. are on a podcast. But can you describe to us a little bit about your outfit that you wear as uh, Oglethorpe? Ah, uh, yes. I am wearing a uniform of the 42nd Regiment of Foot. Now, it's very important to remember that in the 1740s, the 42nd Regiment was not the Black Watch. The Black Watch became the 42nd, a reorganization sometime later. So we had, it's an English regiment of uh, your standard British redcoats. And uh, very important to know that the uniform for the most part is red, of course. You know, redcoats have been pretty much traditional for the British. But uh, you've also got, I have uh, green lapels on my coat. And in uniforms at that time, you could tell what regiment a man belonged to by the colors of you know, his lapels and the cuffs on his coat and everything. That helped to identify one regiment from another. Also, I have white lacing around a lot of the, the trim on my coat, and uh, that kind of helped differentiate too because it, it could be white or it could be yellow. And you know, for the buttons, that would be either pewter or brass. And so a lot of that was you know, how you could tell one regiment from the next. Because when you become a historical character, mm. it's not just about the knowledge. Oh, yes. But it's also looking the part to, mm-hmm. to really bring that person to life. Mm-hmm. Do we have any idea of Oglethorpe's fashion sense besides, you know, he obviously wore this uniform? Uh, in civilian clothes, he tended to be a bit plainer. Definitely was not a peacock like so many other aristocrats were. Mm-hmm. In fact, he 
he kind of resented his own life of privilege and so did pretty much everything that he could to kind of dispel that and kind of show that he was actually a man of the people. Of course, abandoning a lot of your privileged status in England, and I mean, he still was, you know, the founder oh, yes. of the resident mm-hmm. trustee, so he still had a lot of authority mm-hmm. and privilege in Georgia, but, you know, going somewhere where there is essentially nothing, there mm-hmm. is wilderness. Oh, um, yes. You know, where you could have just stayed in the comforts of London. Mm-hmm. But he had this idea and mission in his mind and heart to create this, as we've been kind of referring to it, almost like a utopian society yeah. of, of equals. I'm sure that that's part of his oh yeah mindset is, is to kind of, that he didn't care that much about. Oh, he, he definitely it. didn't. Yeah. And uh, you know, I thought that the steps that he took to ensure friendly relations with, with the Indians, I think, also says a lot about him too because you know with so many colonies you know they were established and maybe you know right off the boat you know the colonists and the indians are you know, the greatest of friends like you know take a look at plymouth and you know just like you know 50 years later you've got one of the proportionally bloodiest conflicts in in america in king philip's war mm-hmm. but uh oglethorpe he took great care to make sure that that didn't happen mm-hmm. And you'll get to hear even more about that during our second Chautauqua of the year, where in July, on the second Tuesday of July at 7, as all of our Chautauquas are for June, July, and August, they are all on the second Tuesdays at 7. In July, you will get to meet Mary Musgrove, who is Oglethorpe's interpreter. And she had a father who was a British trader. Mm -hmm. And then she also had a mother who was of Yamaka Creek heritage. So between the two, she learned both the customs and languages of these two cultures and was able to act as a cultural mediator and Mm -hmm. interpreter between Oglethorpe and Chief Tomatichi. So, Mm -hmm. well, in your Chautauqua, you do not go incredibly into that. Of course, Mm -hmm. you talk about your relationship with Tomatichi, but Mary Musgrove will be able to talk about the two even more uh, in July. So you definitely don't want to miss that. Mm Now. Can you tell our listeners why they should come to Chautauqua and see you? Absolutely. I think this is a great learning experience to find out the reasons why the colony of Georgia was established and kind of the mindsets of a lot of the people who were responsible for creating it. And you'll get to do so in a fun living history environment, which is basically like a history lecture and theater all Mm -hmm. at the same time. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, why just read a book when you can come and watch it? (laughs) Exactly. So we hope to all see you there at our first Chautauqua of the summer in June, second Tuesday of June at 7. Hope to see you there. Then Again is a production of the Northeast Georgia History Center in Gainesville, Georgia. Our podcast is edited by media producer Guada Rodriguez, Our digital and on-site programs are made possible by the Ada May Ivester Education Center. Please join us next week for another episode of Then Again.